following podcast contains information and opinions that are solely the views of the hosts and guests and are not intended to represent employers, organizations, or other entities with which the participants may be affiliated or associated. We hope you enjoy Military Historians or People Too. Melissa Walker and her husband Chuck are coming over tomorrow night. Cool. We're going to grill uh, Impossible Burgers. Nice. Do that. And, um, you know, I'll balance it out with like lots of Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream and brownies. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go right. too far over the edge. Yeah. Last night we went over to Zig and Catherine's next door and they, they made pizzas. And oh, okay. And of course he makes his own dough. He's, he's got, you know, COVID like a lot of people, he got into the sourdough thing. Yeah. And my brother-in-law did as well. And boy, he's just, he just makes all kinds of junk with sourdough and it's good. And anyway, so the pizza crust and everything was a sourdough crust and it was, it was really, really good. But, but he's, he's, he's doing one of those crazy things where he's getting off of sugar, you know, trying oh, to get yeah. off of sugar completely. And, yeah. you know, poor Catherine is, is not. And of course she just bought a bunch of Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> so, so we scored some Girl Scout cookies to bring home. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, um, that's hard. Off sugar it, is tough. It is. And, uh, you know, far be it for me to question anyone's motivation for, for, right. those, for those things. But, um, but that's what he's doing. It's, it struck me as very un-German like. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, uh, that yeah. doesn't seem especially so, uh, Germanic. But I, I got an old fashioned. I made an old fashioned for him, so I snuck in some simple syrup. So he got some sugar. Nice, <laughs> uh, for sure. But um, but yeah, I wanted to to inform our listeners that I that I finally did have a Bruno introduction a couple of weeks <laughs> ago with a Statesboro dog pod dog at, at, at Brian and Carrie's and. Um, a fine animal, uh, very energetic, very excited. He enjoys having guests in the house. He yeah. does not like anyone walking by the house. No, apparently. Nope. <laughs> so, he does not. Yeah. You got the witness um, that, didn't you? He, uh, yeah, I did. I got to witness that. Yeah. He's, um, it's the Doberman in him. He's, you know, he's got that protective side. Right. But like I said, in, in when we were talking with Vonda yesterday, he, He's just got that look. And the first thing I thought of, it's not because you do German history, really. It's just he had that look. I was like, oh, he looks like he's on the Prussian general staff in 1892. Yeah, I mean, he does. For sure. Chops, for sure. Right. And everything. He's awesome. He's really yeah. good. So, um, yeah, that was cool. So fi- finally glad to, glad to do that. Well, so. we'll we're going to get you over for dinner sometime soon. Uh, next, yeah, let's maybe do next that. Week. Yeah. Uh, well, not next week because everybody's gone. Uh, kids are out of school next week, but a uh, week after that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. that, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, well, we finally got Kara on today, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we've had, we've had to delay a little bit, stuff like that. We've been talking to her for a long time, but uh, she's busy. And of course, it's, it's, we are very, very busy. We are. Uh, yeah. We're, we're lucky that she, we're lu- she's lucky that we made time for her to be completely honest. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Especially on a sunny Friday afternoon, right? Like, yeah. like today. So, um, but but I look forward to this. Tell us about yeah. it. 
Um, well, uh, a lot of people are going to know who Kara is. Uh, Kara Dixon Buick um, is the Benjamin W. Schmidt Professor of War, Conflict, and Society in 20th Century America at Texas Christian University. Uh, she received her BA in History and English at Marshall University and her MA and PhD from Indiana University. Ooh, thundering and, Herd. Yeah, Thundering Herd and, and Hoosiers. We'll, yeah. we'll ask her which one of those she's uh, loyal to. Interesting. Before making uh, the move out to TCU, she held faculty positions at Bridgewater College in Virginia and High Point University in North Carolina. And uh, she is the author most recently of The Girls Next Door, Bringing the Home Front to the Front Lines. I love that title. Um, that one was done by Harvard in 2019. Awesome book. First book. Really wonderful book. Yeah, all the, uh, the, the reviews I read of it last night, um, yeah. you know, universally great book. Her first book um, was called Officer Nurse Woman, uh, the Army Nurse Corps in the Vietnam War. And that one was done by Johns Hopkins in uh, 2010. That book won the Lavina L. Doc Book Award, uh, the American Association for the History of Nursing uh, Award, uh, the American Journal of Nursing Books of the Year Award um, in History and Public Policy. And it was a finalist for the Army Historical uh, Foundation Distinguished Writing Award. And yeah, on that's top of those also... books... That's all. That's sorry, deal, that, right? that's also uh, like that's that should be required reading for for Vietnam. And, yeah. You know, along with Heather's, you know, and Amanda Buzzer, all those people. I mean, that's just that's a go-to book. And I'm not just saying that because I have a blurb on the back cover. Yeah, I did notice that. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> good... <laughs> she she took your blurb and put it on the web page too, so she liked it. Oh, good! Wow, yeah. look at that! <laughs> wow! All right. Okay. Awesome. But it's a really uh, it's, seriously, it's it's a just a really fine fine book. Yeah. Well, on top of that, she edited the uh, Rutledge History of Gender War and the U.S. Military back in 2017. And she's part of the editorial team for Managing Sex in the U.S. Military, uh, Gender Identity and Behavior. And that one is set to come out with the University of Nebraska Press in May 2022. And at the end, maybe we'll get a chance to uh, to hear a little bit about that. That was with previous uh, guest Beth Bailey. From yes, University of Kansas. absolutely. Um. Kara has published numerous essays and articles, and she is the co-editor for the University of Nebraska Press's Study in War, Society, and the Military series. Her research has been supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Army Heritage and Education Center, the U.S. Army Center of Military History, the American Historical Association, and the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Library Foundation, among many, many others. Uh, she has written for the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, the Dallas Morning News, and she uh, has served as a consultant for television and radio programs. Uh, Kara is a trustee of the Society for Military History, and she has a list of invited talks and conference presentations uh, that are about a mile long. Um, so we are glad that she's agreed to, uh, to add this interview to the list of prestigious things that she has done recently. Uh, she is a mover and a shaker. Um, got a great website if anyone's interested, um, uh, not only for learning more about her, but seeing how to set up a great website if you're an academic. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and we have a link yeah. to that on the, the pod description. Sometimes I, I, I laugh. I, she's probably been on C-SPAN more than anybody I know. Yeah, when you Google her right? and go to the image search, it's like just C-SPAN and C-SPAN and C-SPAN over and yeah. over. Yeah, constantly, <laughs> constantly. Good for her. Yeah, this will be good. Start, as always. I'm starting to wonder, like, why do people aren't asking us to be on television? Because we've, had, you know, we've we've had numerous people that are on television. I've never, I mean, I think you've done it, right? You've you've done. Yeah, I've been on a couple of times, and you know, and I did that 
that documentary that's coming out later in the spring on the medals of honor recipients oh, that yeah, were upgraded, yeah. you know, from the early two thousands. And, uh, um, but that's really it. But, you know, like Stuart Mitchell said, we got a face for radio, man. Face for faces for podcasts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Faces hey, if anyone out there has any connections, all I really want is to be an extra in like a World War One or a World War Two film. I can be that. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, that's that guy's kind of overweight to be a World War One soldier." Um, I'll be that. Well, guy. but then, like me, like me, I can play like a semi bloated corpse, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't want much. I don't have to talk. I just want to like, right. you know, just, just let me dress up in, in the uniform. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I don't think we've, we've ever been uh, formally introduced. I'm Brian. Thank you for hey. doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping not to tank things at this point, geez. But <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking about, I was like, I don't think I've actually ever met Brian, or maybe we have, but. I've like, you know, uh, we like shook hands one time at a conference long ago, but it was very brief. Um, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think we ever shared a meal or anything, so. Okay, well, might have to do that. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we can change that. Um, yeah, Brian, you- Carrot. Kara said she was like, she'd listened to several of the episodes. So she's going to yeah, be like, Stuart. To, like she's going to be all prepared. She's gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're completely changing the format today. We're doing good. Completely- <laughs> 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 That's right. Uh, yeah. Mix it up. Totally go off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's um, it like in, uh, what's it like in Fort Worth today? Oh, today's good. Today it's supposed to be like mid seventies, I think. Oh, wow. Um, which is much better than last week when we had the snowstorm. Yeah. Um, but basically, I mean, they shut down school for Thursday and Friday, all the daycares, like everything. And I've announced that if we have a snowstorm again, I'm staying here in my <laughs> office. I have everything I need right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a coffee pot down the hallway and a microwave, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Um, when we, well, I got to Georgia Southern in 2012, and like the first or second year, there was a pretty significant ice storm, and all, everyone around the university lost power. And I said to my wife, like, I bet the university has power. And it did. So we just like got the whole family, came over, like, I got a bodum and, uh, and, you know, the hot water thing made coffee. Uh-huh. And uh, we just hung out in, in the old Forest Drive building uh, all day. Oh my gosh. I had no, I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did that in the high point once when we had an ice storm too. Like, it took down all the power lines, but the university had power. And so, we were like taking hair dryers over there and like watching Netflix on the, in my <laughs> office. <laughs> it was awesome. That's great. That is. I'm, awesome. gonna, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a bill now from the university for uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> for the time right. I spent over there. Right. We really appreciate you doing this. Um, and uh, we're we're gonna start like we always do, and uh, just have you tell us about yourself, where you're from, what your parents do, and and you know how'd you get into history. Yeah, so I grew up in West Virginia um, in a little town near Huntington. Um, so right on the border, if you look at the map, you put my house like right there. You can look out and see Kentucky across the river. And if you could see over the hill in front of us, you could see Ohio. So it was right there at that wow. point. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I grew up there. Um, my dad worked at a glass plant in Huntington until it shut down in 94. 
And then, um, like a whole lot of his colleagues was kind of looking for work in his mid mid to late forties. Um, you know, and that was rough for a little bit. And then he, um, ended up getting a job at a plastic plant, which we always laughed. Like he went from glass to plastic. Um, but my mom taught, um, home ec at my high school. And this was like old school home ec where like the girls make pillows and the boys make boxers or whatever, you know? Um, but she taught home ec, home ec. And it changed a little bit later um, where they were kind of preparing people for catering careers and, you know, that kind of work. But she really did old school home ec. Um, <laughs> so that was, I thought that was really interesting, especially later um, when I was doing some stuff in gender history. But um, so I grew up there. Um, I think I always had an interest in history to some degree. I did, um, I was thinking about this not too long ago, I did my fourth grade social studies fair project on General George S. Patton. Um, I have no idea why. <laughs> like, it's kind of bizarre. Um, you just happened to see the movie one night? I mean, what? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the movie, actually. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, do a paper on George C. Scott. Right. <laughs> but I, um, I went to Marshall as an undergrad and I started out in biology for a year. Um, and I'm not real sure why I don't exactly know what I was going to do, like something outdoorsy, maybe park service or something, but realized pretty quickly I didn't like biology and I'd always loved history. Um, and my very first class at Marshall was with, um, my, who would become my advisor. And it was like the post 1877 survey and I just loved it. And, um, you know, so I talked to him, I'd had some more history classes and I talked to him about switching over and he made me read, um, these articles from like the AHA perspectives or something about the job market, which basically said like, you're never going to get a job. Things are dismal. Yeah. It's terrible. Don't do this. And he said, you have to read all this and we have to talk about it before I'll agree to be your advisor. No, they, they keep reprinting those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I think back now, I'm like, oh, those were pretty like optimistic. Like yeah. things weren't so bad then, you know, like, right. <laughs> like if you guys only knew now um, or only knew then what you, what we know now, but, um, but he made me read it all. And I was just like, okay, whatever. I read it. It'll be fine. And so <laughs> didn't really think about it. Um, but did, you know, the history major at Marshall, um, picked up an English major as well because I was taking so many English classes that at some point I realized I just needed like one more. So why not? Um, and then went on to grad school and and I went like straight through. So I'm not normal in any sense. Okay, I did the same thing. I went straight through. <laughs> yeah, right? So again, I'm not normal. You were not normal, Brian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was done. I think I was done when I was 27, maybe. Yep. Something yep. like that. Yeah. I, I was yeah. not. I had Crazy. to do that whole go live in Europe and, and learn languages thing. Oh, you, yeah. you American historians don't like to do that. <laughs> I can tell you about my language deficiency. <laughs> hey, I, I have a quick question. Uh, you're talking about your dad uh, in the, the glass and plastics factory. Um, you do you listen to uh, Angelina Presley? She's a, a singer. No, she's uh she's from kentucky but she okay. like she sings about like uh you know her dad working in coal mines and the death of that whole area whenever industry started changing and uh it's uh it's it's pretty you know it's pretty it's good music um but it's yeah. uh, it's also very much uh you know you would probably relate to it 
Um, then the other question, uh, I think I know the answer to, um, you know, Heather Perry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She told me one time we were at, we were at some conference and she was like, Oh, I knew her when she was just a grad student. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's done too shabby herself. No, no, she's done great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was, I don't, I think she might've been there the year before I got there or, um, yeah, there were a bunch of us, um, dear old Ballantine hall in Indiana. So, so you're at Marshall and then you decide to go to Indiana. Um, and I assume you, you started working on Vietnam there at, at Indiana. So I'm even weirder than it seems already. Um, so when I was at Marshall, actually, so I was in my, um, it was like the senior thesis class for some reason I took that in my junior year. I don't know why, but I took that in my third year and we had to write our like thesis and I was interested in the Vietnam War and I was interested in women's history. And I sort of thinking back, I would think I was interested in trying to figure out my family's sort of story with the Vietnam War because my mom's, so my uncle, my, my mom's sister's husband um, served in Vietnam and they had these pictures that always hung on the wall. And I remember one and it was them. It was the day he left for Vietnam. And it's the two, my aunt and uncle, and they look very happy and like they're smiling and holding on to each other. And I always thought it seemed odd that like, if my boyfriend were getting ready to leave for Vietnam, I'd not be smiling in this photo. So I thought it was weird anyway, but then that photo always seemed in my head to like contrast with their wedding photo, which was not long after he came home. And if you put them side by side, he's a different human being. Like he is very different after than he was before. And so I was interested in trying to figure out what, what that was all about. Right. Um, But I was interested in women. And so my initial thought was, what about all these women who had spouses, boyfriends, husbands go to Vietnam? And I wanted to get into that and try to figure that out. Um, But I'm still like really young (laughs) and I was still learning how to do research. And so I didn't know how to even tackle that. But the more I looked for things the more I found nurses and I ran across Linda Vandevanter's home before morning. And I was such a nerd that I went home with that book on a Friday night because I had nothing better to do. And I read the thing start to finish. And that was it. Like I was, I would jumped in the deep end. I was going to do my project on nurses. So my undergrad project was on nurses in Vietnam. And then, so when I applied to grad school, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing for a dissertation and I get to Indiana and my advisor kept saying, Hey, you might want to branch out a little bit. Like you might want to take some other classes and other things, or you might want to, you know, back up. And I'm like, no, dude, I know where I'm going. I am doing this project. Um, and of course he was right in the sense that I needed to branch out and, you know, sort of, you know, see things a, a little more broadly, but, um, but I not only like went through start to finish, um, from undergrad to grad school, but I had a dissertation, like project in hand, which then became the first book. Which um, is like every advisor's dream, right? A grad student shows up and has the topic ready to roll. Or a viable topic anyway. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so that probably moved you up to the to the to the top of their admission sheet because I'm not sure about that. I mean, I mean, I'm not, you know what I mean? I mean, because you're not gonna be a project. 
right? It's uh, someone, yeah. you, you know what, you, you got a sense of what you want to do. And yeah, I but, but on the other hand, so many students go into grad school, you know, especially at the MA level, and they really have no idea. And that's okay. But oh my gosh, it sure is a lot easier when you do have an idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you got a job at um, Bridgewater mm-hmm. and were there for what, three, four years? Uh, I was there for six years. Six years. And then you had a gap year where you were a fellow at um, the so, Virginia Historic or Humanities? Yeah, so in or? my sixth year at Bridgewater, I got the fellowship um, at the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. Okay. Um, which was a lifeline in that it let me really jumpstart the second book. Um, okay. I had start, so when I got to Bridgewater, was teaching a four four and teaching things like way outside my field. So the whole like branching out advice in hindsight was really good. Um, because like my first year on the at Bridgewater, taught eight courses, seven of them were preps. Um, and we taught everything from like world history to you know US surveys, a survey for like elementary school teachers. Like it was just all over the place. And so there was no time for any research at all, um, yeah. you know, which in, is not a bad thing. I think, you know, you need to get to where you're going and learn to teach. And I definitely learned to teach at Bridgewater. <laughs> um, definitely did that. But in the summers, I would go, uh, I would get these little faculty grants to go to the archives. And I started researching for the second book um, because I, there, I did some things, you know, that I added on from the dissertation um, that became the, my first book, but it didn't require like archival work or anything like that. So I had been collecting sort of files and things for years. And then um, in 2011, 12, got the fellowship at the foundation. And that was just, it was just like blissful. It was, um, I mean, if the, the office for the Virginia foundation, is like over in Charlottesville, it's on this lake in the fall, they blow up hot air balloons out your window. And, and, and like, you're with people who are writing and it was just like, holy cow, like I can take like just a mental break to like shift gears and, and really start writing. Um, and that was amazing. So, yeah. And then, and then high point and then on to TCU. TCU. Yep. yep. All right. So did you at Indiana, did you teach your own classes there or what, what kind of teaching experience did you have? No, I didn't have any. Um, so you came out <laughs> with silch. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, so I got into Indiana, um, you know, going back to, to the earlier question about like being at the top of the list, I was not at the top of the list. Um, and I know that because I had no funding. Um, oh, the wow, funding okay. came through literally the day we were packing the U-Haul to move to Bloomington. Um, got a call and they said, hey, there's a class um, that needs a grader. So there were different levels of course assistance or graduations right. at IU and um, they said, this is a greater position for the American civil war. Um, do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, I had that for the fall. Um, I think something came through in the spring, similar situation, like grading for somebody. But then I had, I w- found fellowship at the career center. So I like spent a year like, looking at, gra- at undergrads CVs and helping them write cover letters for, consulting firms and, and whatever. Um, and then the third year I got, um, an editorial assistant position at the AHR. Yeah. The AHR, which was amazing. And I loved, loved, loved that work. But in my third year, I also got married and Jason had gotten a job at Ohio state. And so I was driving back and forth 
while he was working at Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, I wasn't going to do that anymore. We weren't going to, it was only four hours, but we were not doing that. Um, and so after I finished my coursework, I went, I moved to Columbus with him and wrote my dissertation in Ohio. And at that point, knew I needed to get teaching experience because I hadn't had any um, and started teaching at Columbus State Community College. And so I taught for two years, um, two semesters a quarter for two years while I wrote. And that was really where I got um, sort of my feet wet with teaching. Wait, what years were you in Columbus? So this would have been um, oh, two, um, probably oh, two to oh, five or six. Okay, then we were in Columbus. I started Ohio State in 03. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, we we may have, you know, sat in the same restaurant or something. <laughs> where, where did you live in Columbus? We were in Bexley. Okay, um, yeah. We loved a cute little part of town that was still in town, um, you know, not out on the Beltway. So he was at Ohio State. I didn't. He was. He ran the Slavic Center. Um, it was like oh, an administrative. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he was working that um, and writing at the same time, like, and he had finished up um, his dissertation because he was also a, a PhD student at Indiana. So we met on the, get this, the Indiana University History graduate student flag football team. Think of the zillion ways that can go wrong. I would, I was going to say, I would love to. Like, I'm you, biting my tongue. Yeah, I am biting right. my tongue. Like when you when you say to your advisor, like, hey, in year three, I've decided I'm going to get married to this guy who's also uh, right. a history. <laughs> that must, I mean, if a grad student came right. to me and said that right now, I would say, okay, hold on. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, not quite as good as Jennifer Keene and the rowing coach, but right now, <laughs> but, but I like it. Yeah. I like, like it. Like yeah. Football yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very cool. So tell, can you tell, talk a little bit about working at the American historical review as oh, an awesome. editorial assistant? I mean, what, what uh, really just, what did you learn? The way your job works. So they have a bunch of grad students and with, at least at that time, I think it's similar enough today, but the graduate students, there would be like six or eight of us and we would all be in charge of our, essentially our field. So my field was the 20th century U S and I would get all of the books that came to the journal to go out for review and we would have these databases of all the potential authors and so you would get a new book in and you're putting the person into the system you know and so you're characterizing their fields right so bill allison comes in and we put you in as a scholar of the vietnam war and all these things and and so that adds to the the potential author pool um, and then you're also coming up with a list of maybe five or six potential reviewers for this book so the work just by design means that you are seeing everything new coming in and you're assigning potential reviewers. So you're also learning those folks and what they do. And then you would have um, somebody on faculty who would essentially like work with you and go through it, um, go through your list, um, especially if there was an IU author, right? If it was an, an Indiana professor's book coming through, they were very careful to, you know, make sure everybody knew like this is not getting special treatment or whatever. And so, you know, you had an outside consultant, um, but then, so that was one part of your job. And then the other part would be that when the reviews came in, you copy edited those. And so you're going through and you're editing them, but then you would also do this really crazy 
thing with another of the editorial assistants where like you take the the review and it's come from whoever like inserts the codes that make the font size different or that make it italics or whatever and those codes are written out on the page and so you would sit and you would read it aloud to another person who had the the other copy and make sure all of everything got done as it was supposed to so for the longest time I would read things and I would read you know, the periods and the commas and the apostrophes and the capital, I would read that in my head. It, like it got stuck in my head and, and I had to kind of like figure out how to get that out. <laughs> but, um, but it was just such a really cool experience and that you're learning the field, you know, at that very moment when you need to learn the field, <laughs> you have exams coming up, but it also like helped with your writing. It made you think about writing in a different way and, and look for errors and look for mistakes and, kind of see what worked and what didn't, you know, all of that. Well, were you and, horrified and how poorly, how were you horrified how poorly some academics write? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I that's what I was about to say. I, I to me, dirt, but... <laughs> yeah, to me, reading aloud is one of the best mm -hmm. ways to, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I try to tell my undergraduate students mm -hmm. to, you know, get your roommate, give them a six pack of beer and, you know, <laughs> read the thing aloud to them. And whenever yep. they stop you and say, oh, that doesn't make sense, then guess what? Yep. Probably doesn't, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, yeah. How interesting. I didn't know it, that. It was wow. super That's fun. really cool. Huh. And it was a three-year gig. So when you got the position, it was for three years. And so I you know, got married and went to Columbus. And so I met, I only got to do the first year and I, and still like, I want to go back to Bloomington and finish my graduate <laughs> assistantship with the HR because it was so fun. It was just, I just felt like it was such a unique window into the field and the profession, um, especially that Indiana could give because they've also got the OAH down the street and they've got, you know, all kinds of things going on there um, that you might not expect for a place like Indiana. Like it doesn't necessarily immediately come to the yeah. top of the list for a lot of people, but I think it offer, I think the place offers, you know, some really unique experiences that you can't get elsewhere. They've got the, uh, is the journal for women's history there? Um, it was at SUNY Binghamton and then it went somewhere else. I'm not sure where okay. it went now, but you're right. There's though, I know so, a lot there are several journals there. that the Indiana university press has, has had yep. for a long time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Bloomington was great too. I just love Bloomington. Oh, it's a great college town. I mean, it's yeah. Great place. Yeah. yeah. As I recall, though, that was years when their basketball was not great. I don't remember. So I was there the year they right? fired Bobby Knight, which was fun. Oh, wow. Um, ah, okay. Well, there you are. Yeah. Huh. So that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were in a slump that, when I was there, but still. Yeah. It's still Indiana basketball. Still Indiana. Right. Yeah. Better than the football team. So. Right. Yeah. When I was, when I was at St. Francis, I, I, my first job was at St. Francis college in Fort Wayne. Okay. And I was there for a couple of years before I went out to Weber state. And, um, I just remember, you know, and that's a tiny little, you know, Catholic liberal arts college. And, but it was in this conference with a whole bunch of other tiny little schools in all these towns all over Indiana. It's mm -hmm. like every town in there has a little college <laughs> and, and the basketball was like the thing. I mean, it was yeah. really a cultural deal. And I got kind of like, wow, this Indiana basketball thing actually, you know, has some, has some grit to it. And, uh, yeah. 
it was a lot of fun. I became the the uh, scorer. I, I did I did that kind of as, as a service thing, but I got on with the basketball coach real good, and and so I would do the scoring stuff. And who knows how many extra assists I gave kids and stuff because <laughs> I <didn't> know. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out what I was doing. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Hey, I want to ask you. I've got your girls next door book right here and in, in the uh, officer nurse woman books down at my office in Statesboro. We were laughing earlier how Brian noticed that I had, I had a blurb on the back of your book. Um, Some, yeah. But anyway, on that book. what I want to ask about those books really is tell us about the covers. Mm-hmm. Like who, who are those women and how did, how um, did you pick those? How, how did that happen? Okay. So the officer nurse woman cover, um, I had given them a bunch of recruitment ads, um, which I loved. And I talked about in the first chapter, like how the, how the army nurse course recruiting these women in the middle of the feminist movement, in the middle of the Vietnam war, like all of these things. And I used all of these beautiful ads, which in terms of book publishing are awesome because they're free. Right. right. Um, but they're, they're also like, they just show the era, you know, like, you see that picture and you know the era you're talking about. Um, and I like that one in particular. It was from the same ad that the book title comes from. Um, so I am terrible at titles. I hate titles. I'm, I mean, even chapter titles, I hate them. I'm just, I'm awful, awful, awful at titles. Um, <laughs> it is not in my wheelhouse. And so the title of so of that book is a quote um, that comes from the recruitment ad that that nurse is in. So it's a it's hanging on my wall over here. Um, but it's they basically just crop down the the ad, and I like that she's like all fresh faced and you know she's eager and she's ready to go and she's wearing her fatigues and and all of that. Um, but I you know I gave it to the press and they sent back the cover, and I remember sitting in my office and looking at it and being like that thing is pink. Like, how dare you send me a pink book cover? And I was just so annoyed. Right. And I took it to colleagues. And I'm like, can you believe this? And, and I had a friend who was in art and she was like, you know, a little better about it. She was like, it looks good and all this. And so then I asked the press, like what the rationale was. And they said, well, we went through several co- like colors, the same idea, but they had tried it with red they're like, no, we're not using red. This is all about like medicine and war. We're not going with the red. And they tried other colors and they just didn't like it. And they liked the pink. And, you know, I'm a first time author. I have no earthly understanding of how any of this stuff works or if I have any recourse and really didn't. But, um, but in the end, like I quickly came around to loving the pink because the first time I saw it at the AHA, there were no other pink books around. Like if you looked at the Hopkins booth, that one stood out. Yeah, it's a striking cover. And I was like, oh, actually these guys are brilliant. Like, <laughs> so I love that cover. Um, with the girls next door, that one was harder for me to figure out what to even suggest because that one, you know, starts in World War One and it goes through Afghanistan. Like it's a- Yeah, so it could have been any project. Right? right, or even it a collage. Yeah. And I, they asked me what I liked in book covers and I had sent them some things that I liked and um, they, 
they use that photo, which I, I do love the photo, you know, her pigtails and like the little blue donut dolly skirt. And they're, you know, they're, you kind of lose in the cover that they're sitting on some bombs. Yeah. <laughs> they cropped it down in a way, but like just the juxtaposition of everything going on there, the way the guys are like leaning in and leering at her and like, you're, you're trying to read what's going on there. I love the photograph. Um, and so I liked it. But I, you know, I was always like, well, there's this also amazing photo from World War II that we could use, or there's this. And so, you know, I wanted one photo, not, you know, not like a whole bunch on there. Um, I wanted one because I, my idea was that it would be the whole cover, you know, that the photo would be the entire dust jacket. Um, and so that when they initially sent it back, it was that photo on a teal background, like just stick it in there, stick the title at the top, put my name at the bottom. And I went back to my editor and I'm like, I really like, I hate when people say about art, I could have done that because A, you probably can't and B, you didn't. So just, you know, yeah. stop. Shut the hell up. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that's not hard. Like, can you, can they do something, you know, just a little more artsy, you know, a little more drawn on their design skills. And so she did. Yeah, I was really lucky. Like she didn't have to go back to the designers, but she did. And she asked them to give it another shot and they came back with that cover. And I just love it. You know, I love the way it wraps around. And all. yeah, I love the way it wraps around on the yeah. binding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, yeah. really cool. I'm having a memory of like a month or two ago, there was a photograph of a donut dolly. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. that they figured out who it was. Who it was. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it was in the Washington Post, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a really neat article that that guy yeah. had like, kept the photo for so many years and always wondered who it was. Yeah. You're covering a lot of territory here mm -hmm. uh, in that in that book. And and how, yeah. how was how was that doing that? Doing sounded like a good idea at the time, right? Um, As it often does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so I knew about women entertainers because of the donut dollies because my first work had been in the Vietnam War era, but I didn't want to write a book about donut dollies, right? That, that was just about donut dollies. I didn't want to do another book about American women in the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, and so though I found, I found them and I find them profoundly interesting and, you know, I'd love doing the oral histories. And so that's the part where I get to, you know, really dig into doing oral histories um, in the book, but um, I was interested in them, but wanted to figure out what the evolution of that kind of work was. Um, and so that's how I came to that project. And, you know, looking into it, went back to World War One, you know, with the YMCA and the Salvation Army kind of coming out of this progressive era, um, and then just decided to take it forward and wanted initially to end in the Vietnam War, because if it happens after, you know, a certain time, it's not history in my mind. It's like that's right. too current, but ended up having a lot of fun with the last chapter, um, you know, and thinking about how this all moves forward, um, you know, in the all volunteer era and in the Persian Gulf. And, you know, so I ended up having a lot of fun, but, it, you know, there were a lot of moments when I would be like, wait, okay, now we're moving to the World War II part. We got to learn a whole new historiography and we got to learn, right. you know, it, so it was, it was a thing, but, <laughs> but it was a good thing. You know, it was a great, you know, 20th century project. Um, and it, and it also just in terms of scholarship got me out of the Vietnam war, which um, was also a good thing. So yeah. Yeah. Not that sure. there's anything wrong with that. Right. No, but, <laughs> but, but I know what you, I know what you mean. It gets, it gets you, 
because I mean, you cover all these different periods. It connects you with all those communities mm -hmm. who do mm -hmm. those wars specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I was, you know, I was gonna say, I was looking like you, you were one of the, the, the leads at the national world war II museum summer uh, Institute. Right. And so mm -hmm. I assume that, that you were chosen for that because of the work that you had done on, um, on women in the second world war. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to meet like first world war scholars. I never would have known. And yeah, it, it was just a lot of fun. You know, I'm really glad looking back the way that I did that. Um, for all kinds of reasons, but there were definitely times when I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? Why are we doing this? <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed working on that book. It took a lot longer <laughs> than I anticipated, but. So one of the the really cool things I found last night when I was um, cyber stalking you nope. is that, uh, you know, we have to stalk people to come up with stuff <laughs> to talk about. Um, but uh, you've got a collection of oral histories at Texas Tech Sam Johnson Vietnam mm -hmm. Archive. And so, uh, you know, first off, kudos to you for making sure that all that great primary source information found its way to uh, to an archive. Yeah. But, uh, you know, was it kind of an obvious choice to to send it to Texas Tech or you know how did you how did you first of all decide to give it up and then second decide to put it there um so I knew about the the Vietnam Center um and had I used some things that um either used interviews that they had already done or I knew about it and I was in Columbus teaching and trying to write a dissertation and and doing all these interviews and also really quickly figuring out that transcribing interviews is you know takes 10 times longer than doing the interview um and i needed them transcribed to use them the way i wanted to use them you know to actually have the text and keep going back through it and so i talked to um somebody at the center and said look i've got all these all of these you know oral histories and i had um went had to go back to all of the women and the men i had interviewed and you know get permission from them um, to specifically to donate them to the archive, but the arrangement was that I would donate them, they would do the transcribing, um, and I would be able to use the transcribing or transcriptions then. Um, but all of that's out there, and I really do love that it is. Um, you know, I found so we were cleaning out our garage <laughs> not too long ago, and I found all of the cassette tapes that they were recorded yeah. on. Yep. Um, and those things, you know, that if they were still sitting there on cassette tapes, like they would have been lost. And there's just so much good stuff, you know, even things that, you know, you just never know what somebody's going to do down the road. Right. So I interview these people and ask them the things I want to know, but it doesn't mean that the two of you wouldn't look at the transcript and come up with totally different things out of that. Yeah. And for your own questions or your own projects. And so that's, I just really look like that it's, it's out there. Um, and there's some pretty cool stuff in there. Um, I've used them to show students, you know, how different interviews can go. Um, so there are some where, you know, it's me and the woman um, that I'm interviewing and it's real choppy at the beginning, you know, I'm getting one word answers back and then finally they start to warm up and you can kind of just see that in the transcript. And then there's um, another, there's one interview in particular where the person had told her story so many times that you see me on the first page, ask a question. And the next time you see me in the transcript is like page 14. Oh, wow. wow. And so Good you can Lord. talk to students about like how, how narratives are constructed and how this person wanted to tell their story and they knew what they were going to tell, yeah. you know, and sort of, you know, you can talk about oral history things. Yeah. Like and that. also just controlling the interview. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, just just yeah. managing it, yeah, because that's that's hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Did did anyone uh, say no when you asked about you know asked permission to put them in the archive? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was um, I was doing these mostly like two thousand five, four or five ish, um, and so you know at this time these women are are you know they're getting into sort of their later years and a lot of them were really confused at that time about what it would mean for it to be on the internet you know oh, and so yeah. i'm trying to uh, like explain yeah. this is gonna be on the internet like anybody could listen to it it doesn't mean that everybody on the in the entire world is like looking up the texas tech archive and listening to things or whatever um but there were there were some women who were very uncomfortable with that um you know there were some women um who would be a little nervous about some of the questions, you know, when we would talk about sexuality or things like that, they didn't, they were okay with me hearing that, but they weren't real comfortable. You know, some of them would joke and be like, well, don't tell my kids this. And I'm like, well, you just signed an agreement that, (laughs) you know, so, you know, there was some, you know, discomfort with that kind of thing. Um, But there were a few that, that didn't, um, didn't, allow me to put them in the archive. Um, I could still use them, but they're not in the, in the archive. And then there were some women who didn't want to do interviews at all. And so I came up with a, like a free response, very long questionnaire that they were comfortable filling out a questionnaire, but they just didn't want to do an interview or we couldn't do an interview for whatever reason or whatever. Um, so it was all kinds of just different, um, different ways of getting those personal narratives um, and all happening through the mail back then. Like I found yeah. envelopes with bunches of stamps and it's just a different era, different world. It is, it is remarkable how, <laughs> how much things have changed since uh, I remember sending a letter to one of the last surviving prosecutors from the uh, Nuremberg trials. And, oh, wow. you know, I wrote this letter and waited for him to write a response. And like, I still have that letter, but, you know, it was it was weeks like you'd uh-huh. put that thing in the mail and then weeks later, something would show up. Uh-huh. I and did now- the same thing when I was doing that military justice book in Vietnam. I did a survey for uh, Air Force JAG officers mm-hmm. and got the list from the Air Force JAG school, you know, and but it mailed it all out. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because you didn't know if they had email addresses or not, right? Yeah, or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I have the good old days. Yeah. yeah, Pony Express brought it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. <laughs> good times. Good times. Should we take a little break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. Hey everyone, Military Historians of People 2 wants to push two important things with our listeners. First, we don't get any compensation from the University Press of Kansas. The wonderful folks out there in Lawrence kindly promote our podcast on their social media feeds, and we're really grateful for that. In return, we encourage you to check out the University Press of Kansas and its great list, including many military history titles and series such as Modern War Studies, which I am honored to serve as series editor. But we don't want to just push the University Press of Kansas. Brian and I encourage you to check out the amazing books and journals offered by the University Press community. Whether it's North Carolina, Texas A&M, Cornell, NYU, Cambridge, Oxford, whatever, visit their websites, 
check out the wonderful scholarship these and other presses produce each year. If you see something you like, if you can buy it directly from the press website, all the better. And in that same vein, as a non-monetized podcast, we rely on our listeners to help us get the word out about military historians or people too. So please retweet, repost, share on all your social media feeds, our podcast and pods like Bowen Blade, Khaki Malarkey, ThePeel.News, and any others that you listen to. You are such an important part of all of us reaching our listeners. So thank you for your support. Please share us, keep listening, and enjoy today's show. So, Kara, you are still faculty advisor and have been for a while for the Student Veterans Alliance there mm-hmm. at TCU, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you do a lot of programming and stuff. In fact, I think you've got a, a program coming up in a few weeks mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. I've seen you post on Twitter. Uh, dealing yeah. with Afghanistan, right? Uh-huh. All that. You know, what what has that been like? I know we, you know, when we talked to Ron Milam, you know, he does he does uh-huh. work with the veterans uh, group at, there at Texas Tech. Uh, yeah. What's that been like? You know, why did you get involved? You know, what what do you what have you been learning from that? Yeah. Um. I mean, why did I get involved? If we go back to the beginning, it's the whole reason of why I'm here, um, and that's one thing I did definitely want to talk about. Um, So I have a chair that's named for um, a former TCU student who came here and loved TCU a lot, Um, (laughs) but probably didn't come to the interior of a classroom as often as he might have. And so he was failing out basically after about three semesters and he went home and was trying to, you know, get things back in order and came home one day and it surprised his family and said, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, and so they're like, you did what? <laughs> He's not from a family of prior service people. Um, he joined the Marines and he, um, you know, went out to Camp Pendleton. He then became a scout sniper um, and he had deployed to Afghanistan once and was apparently on a fob somewhere and just really didn't feel like he had gotten um He was just kind of dissatisfied with it um, and had been doing some reading on the long history of wars in Afghanistan and was starting to get a little disillusioned with the war, um, but, and had plans. He was coming up on the end of his enlistment um, as four years, but he um, learned that this was um, like 20, uh, 2011 um, had his battalion was getting orders. Um, this is sort of after Obama's sort of draw down a little bit. And then they start sending Marines in again, and his battalion had gotten orders to go to Afghanistan. And he heard that the scout sniper, none of the scout snipers had been um, to war before. And so he extended his enlistment and went, um, despite his misgivings and all of that, um, volunteered to go to Afghanistan again and was in Helmand province um, and was killed in a friendly fire accident. And so he had told his family before he left, you know, you have to you know, make plans, um, for what happens if you don't come home. And he had told his family, like his plan was to finish his enlistment, come back to TCU, finish a history degree, then go on, get a PhD and teach military history. And so before he left in his, he told his family, if he didn't come home, he wanted to leave half of his life insurance to the TCU history department. And this is like your knucklehead, like frat boy, 
right? Wow. Like this is, this is, the, that was him when he was here. Um, but he left half of his life insurance policy to the department. And after his death, it created um, a graduate student fellowship. So like the top award we give to a grad student gives them a full year to write, write work on their dissertation. And it's the Benjamin Schmidt fellowship. Um, and so he, um, he, he did that and his family, um, his father in particular wanted to do more wanted to do something else. And somebody had given, um, had given his father a copy of, and I'm going to get the title wrong, but had given him a copy of Jim Wright's first book, like those who have borne the battle. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Right. Yep. Somebody gave him a copy of that and he read it and he loved it because it's like, you know, the history of wars, but through the people who served in those wars. And he called Jim Wright on the phone one day just to say, Hey, I love this book. And of course, Jim was president of Dartmouth at the time. And so they have this whole conversation about, you know, history and all of these things. And I guess um, Benjamin's father had said, I wanted, you know, I'm thinking about doing something more like what else could we do? And Jim told him he could create a chair and explain to him what an endowed chair was and what it meant and all of that. And so they raised money to create the position that I have. Um, that's the Benjamin Schmidt chair. Um, and they did that really quickly. And so, um, so when I came here, like I am here because that kid isn't, and that's, that's the bottom line, um, that this position is here, um, in his memory and in honor of what he wanted to do. Um, and so when I came here, like I study this field, like this is my field of research, but I was, you know, I, I, the first class I had, um, I taught a gender and war class here and we had in that class, it was not if any of my other undergrad students are listening, but like, that was the best class I've ever had, <laughs> ever had. Um, there was, a um, a Marine Corvette who had been a gunnery sergeant and he was always like keeping everybody in order. There were a couple army vets. Um, there were, there was a army ROTC cadet, um, a young woman. Um, in the class, there was a, a woman who was going through the Marine Corps, like officer candidate kind of program in lieu of an, you know, we don't have ROTC for the Navy here. So, you know, she was going through that. And then we had a girl who was like majoring in film studies or something. And she would like periodically stop and she'd be like, I don't understand any of the words y'all just said. You got to explain <laughs> it to me. <laughs> but we had the best time in that class. Like, because, they, you know, we're reading all this stuff on gender and, you know, the guys are always, you know, making cracks about like, oh, men don't have gender, you know, whatever. But then they would draw in their experiences. And then you've got these two future officers who are trying to learn from them and know that they're going into this career. And so um, one of the, the Marine in that class, um, he wanted to revive the student vet group, um, which had been it kind of, you know, goes up and down depending on who's here and how much time they have and all of that. Um, but he wanted to revive it and asked me um, if I would be their faculty advisor. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so they're great. The group we have right now um, is starting to get really active again. They're trying to get involved with alum, um, TCU alum who are veterans, um, which I think can be a really good relationship, but they're really good at, you know, providing opportunities for, the student vets to, um, you know, connect with businesses in the, na- in the area or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I try to stay out of their business in the sense that like they do what they want to do. I'm not there to direct any of that. Um, but I love having 
the vets in my classes, um, you know, anytime I see a vet, I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Like they might not be a history major. They might not be the best writer. It doesn't matter. Right. Because they just approach it differently. Um, so last fall I had a class that was like American empire. Um, and I had two Marine Corps vets in there and like, they were just, they just both bring a different perspective to the material and to the experience, especially when we're talking about war. Um, even when it's not theirs, you know, it's, you know, they draw on their own experience of having been in that uniform abroad um, and what that meant and, you know, how that might relate to history. So, well, and, their, and their student peers will respond to them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. That's been my experience. Yeah. One, yeah. I was telling my grad students the other day, um, one of the guys in the class, he didn't say much often, but when he did, it was like, oh, yeah, Yeah, he dropped something on him there like, whoa. Yeah, Brian and I have a colleague who's that way. Yeah. yeah. When he talks, people listen. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. does this does does it run through uh, TCU's Veterans Affairs office or is there what's the relationship there? Or is there um, not? it's just a student club? Yeah. Just a student, just a club. student club. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, we would very much like to have a, a bigger, more dedicated presence for vets on campus. Um, yeah. But that's been a long, you know, a long haul. You have to have all kinds of things in order and in line and, and not to mention money. Um, but yeah, so they have a, you know, a vets, gr- you know, a place on campus where they can go. And then, of course, they've got all the, you know, the folks in the registrar's office and all of that dealing with the benefits line and, um, and TC is a yellow ribbon campus, um, which means that they can, you know, if their GI bill benefits don't cover everything, they can still come here to a private institution and have everything covered, which is a great, um, kind yeah. of program. So, so what's the program that's coming up dealing with Afghanistan? So, um, so and not that the Schmitz haven't done enough for us, but when I got here, I started, um, I was like, well, let's have, bring in speakers, you know, let's start a little speaker series. And so the first year I was here, I brought in Beth um, Bailey, who was um, coming in. She talked about, um, you know, the book that she's finishing up now about race in the army. And she gave a talk and it was great. And that's kind of like what we do, right. You know, we're used to bringing in like one person at right. a time. Um, and then the next year was going to be, we were always doing it in the spring. And so it was going to be 2017, which was the centennial of the American entry into world war one, right. Which was like the one moment in time when Americans realized there was a world war one. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I went to the department chair and we we're like, let's do something a little bigger, you know, and we were kind of like thinking, okay, we'll draw money from here and we'll get somebody else to co-sponsor and, you know, piecing together, you know, have a bake sale, whatever it takes. Um, but we wanted to do something a little bigger um, in conjunction with the centennial. And so, you know, we started planning and um, every year, you know, the donors for the position get a report like on basically on me, on what I've done with <laughs> the, with this position. And um, the dean had told the, David, um, you know, hey, she's planning this thing never asked him for anything. And the next day, um, Dr. Schmidt called the former Dean and said, Hey, I'll give her some money for that. And he calls me and I'm just sitting in my office. And I'm like, oh, wait, I've got, what just happened? <laughs> Gave us money for a symposium. So we did the world war one, um, thing, which was great. We had a really good time. You know, um, Adam Hochschild came out and gave a, gave a keynote. 
Um, we had a bunch of, a couple panels. Um, it was, it was great. It was a great time. Um, and then, but before we even like pulled the thing off, I'm sitting in my office wine a day in the fall and the Schmitz had come up for a football game and told the chancellor, they're like, Hey, you know, we'll do that every other year. I'm like, oh, wow. oh okay. So every other year it's a larger symposium. So in 2019, we did the Vietnam war. Yeah. That's and- what the data and well banks and yep. Yeah. Yep. And so it was funny, Jim Wright came out, um, you know, it was, it was 2019. So 50 years from 1969. And that was right after Jim's book, um, Enduring Vietnam had just come out, which right. is focused on 1969. So I, I'm like, this would be perfect. You know, he would be great. I sent him this long email and telling him all about the whole story. I just told you guys about Benjamin and all this stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember talking to David. I'm like, wait, <laughs> like, it just like the stars had all aligned, you know, that I had asked this guy who it turned out had been the one who gave David the idea for creating this position in the first place. And so we did tw- in 2019, we did Vietnam War. Um, and then we were planning for 2021. And of course, COVID happened. But the plan initially had always been to do Afghanistan um, in 2021, which would have been 20 years after 9-11, 10 years after Benjamin's death. And it has always sort of terrified me because it's very recent um, yeah. history. Yep. Um, but now after the withdrawal and after all of that, um, you know, we're doing it now. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be really awesome. I think I'm really excited about it. Um, we've got some great, great people coming. Um, you know, we're even doing a little panel kind of in the middle about historians who have served in the military, basically as a tribute to Benjamin, like this is what yeah. he wanted to do. And and so we've got um, Greg Dias is coming in, Stephanie Irwin, who's down at the Air Command and Staff College, um, who was a Navy pilot, um, and then Mark Fulce, um, who's up at the Center of Military History, and is very much like in my mind, he's very much like Benjamin. Like he's he graduated high school, he went into the Marines, like he had this whole career, and now he's this historian. Yeah, um, you know, so it's it's just a nice it's a nice event. We really love doing it um, from the department end. Um, and it's a great way to sort of highlight TCU and highlight Benjamin's story and all of that. So I, I'm just curious about how, you know, that's emotionally, that's a pretty heavy thing for not only his family and whatnot to do all this, and I'm sure it helps them cope and, and whatever, but, mm-hmm. but it's got to be, you know, something on you. So how, how do you, or do you feel, I, mean, I know you, you must feel that. And how do you, wrestle with that um so this past fall um benjamin was killed on october 6 2011 and last summer um kind of knowing that anniversary was coming up i you know i started talking to my department chair and like we're gonna do something like we're we have a little war memorial like the tc war memorial right outside our building and and then we have some plaques and benjamin's names on it and i just I'm like, we're going to go stand out there and think about this kid. We're going to do it. Like, we're going to march everybody out there. And we're going to do it. And so we organized this little, um, you know, and I, I didn't know what to call it. Like, it's not a memorial. It's not a, I, you know, we end up calling it remembrance service. But like, it's, we're just going to stand out there on this day. And we're going to think about this kid, this 24-year-old kid. And so we had you know, there was a student who actually came to TC because Benjamin had come here and 
I asked him to come back and speak. And he um, had written something for a little book at TCU um, on sort of TCU vets. And it's just powerful. And he, um, he, he agreed to come back and speak. Um, you know, I talked about Benjamin, Eric spoke, our chancellor spoke. We had a student guitarist play the Marine Corps hymn, you know, which the Marine Corps hymn is not like the right tone of a song you play at a service like that. I'm like, he plays acoustic guitar. It's, it sounds nice, actually. Um, we had a bunch of people, you know, they lowered the TCU flag that day. Like, it was just nice. And his, um, Benjamin's mother came and, you know, we're planning this thing. And I'm like, the day she told me she was coming, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is great. But like, I was just like, oh my goodness, like, we can't screw this up. We can't like, and it, and it was also, it's October 6th. So this is not long after the withdrawal. And so my fear was that it would become a political thing when it was always to be, you know, people on this campus where this kid has left a lasting legacy, you know, we just need to remember him. And so, so we did, um, you know, and that, you know, I think about, I, I told his family, like, I think about your son every day and I always will. Um, and that's the truth. His name is on a memorial outside the building. Um, I am here again, only because he's not. Um, and that's just the reality of it. Um, I came to interview here, um, for, with a four week old. Um, so my first son was born or my only son, but my first kid was born, um, and the next day I got the call to come for the interview. And so when we came down here, I came down here with a newborn son in tow <laughs> for the interview. Um, and I think it's just always, you know, sort of my stage of life at that point with a newborn coming into a position where someone has lost their son has just, I don't, I don't know. It makes it just feel something. I'm not sure what, um, but, but yeah, but I'm here because that kid wasn't. And and that, and it's different than, you know, some rich oil cat donating money because they just love history. Like to me, this is, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a totally there's something different thing. you need to, yeah, you just, you need to real. appreciate that. It's real. So, yeah. yeah. Well, good on you. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, it looks like you've, you've done a, a great job doing done what the family wants to be done for his memory. So, uh, and more and more keep yeah. doing it. Yeah. Well, Hey, um, You've gotten to do a lot of, uh, of neat stuff. Um, we said in the intro, you're on, uh, you know, you've been on television a couple of times, uh, probably been on C-SPAN than just about anyone else, um, on C-SPAN. Um, <laughs> no, you can't do math. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I saw that you've done is, uh, you were on TLC's, who do you think you are? Yeah. So I know the answer to the question I'm about to ask, but, uh, what celebrity were you working with and, what was that experience like? And, and in particular, cause you know, we, we've talked to Daniel Krebs and he did this as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I get up. Daniel, can Daniel and I go back in time? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Daniel> <laughs> I feel said, like that experience was wasted on Daniel Krebs. Well, he saying. said, well, he, no, he said Rob Lowe is an extremely <laughs> handsome man. <He> said, <laughs> but, and I'm so, like a super ge- like West wing geek fan. Yeah. Oh, right. I'm like Sam Seaborn. Like, why couldn't I? <laughs> So when, when they call you up to do it, I mean, is it actually you having to go do a lot of archival research? 
Um, in my case, I didn't. Um, and it might be different for everybody. Um, but when I got the call, like it's super, it was super um, vague. You know, they don't tell you the person's name at the beginning. They just kind of tell you, like, they told me this person, um, their mother had been in like USO shows during World War II. And, and they had actually found all kinds of stuff that I was amazed they found, you know, the ship manifest that showed her going abroad and, you know, all these newspaper articles about her shows. Um, but they didn't tell me who it was until well into the process. Um, and I crack up because this came, the, all of this happened the first fall I was here at TCU. And so at one point they wanted me to, I think it was Skype at the point. I don't think Zoom had really taken off, but they wanted to Skype. And I think what they're doing is like making sure you don't have three noses or, yeah. you know, um, I was the sickest I had been in like years that day. <laughs> like I'm in bed. Our son's babysitter is at the apartment with him because I can't even get out of bed to take care of him and I have to get on zoom. And so it was like, put on a nice shirt. Like I'm trying to like make my hair, like not look like it's all matted to my head, put on makeup and like pull it together for the 30 minutes you have to Skype and then just pass out again. <laughs> but I apparently made it through that. And they, you know, they bring, they brought me to New York for the filming. Um, and it was the first time I had left Asher, you know, with Jason, like, oh, yeah. you know, Jason was home with the kid. And so I fly out, but I get there. I, I was so excited to be, a, you know, to have this chance, go up and meet Katie Seagal. And, you know, it's just such a neat story. Like her mom had been in the USO and she was going to meet a woman who was in the USO group with her mom. And so, oh, and yeah. she didn't know that, like they were going to surprise her with that. So it was super, super exciting. I was just really interested in the whole process. But I get to New York, I get to the hotel, like we meet, um, you know, they don't let you meet the the star. You don't meet them until they walk into the room and the cameras are rolling. They want that like oh, yeah. surprise or, you know, initial reaction. Um, but I got to meet the woman who was in the USO, this little sweet old lady who was from Fort Worth, um, randomly enough. But, you know, we have dinner and, and they're like, okay, great. So everybody needs to be dressed and ready to go. We're leaving the hotel at like, 5 a.m. or something and I'm like dang it like I thought I was gonna sleep in like <laughs> the first time I've like not been at home with a crying baby I'm like up earlier than I normally would be and then I was back on a plane like so it was an amazing experience but it was um it was so bizarre you know oh, please just, please tell me that she was uh, she seems like she would be really cool right yeah she was super nice um and she was you know, really, really excited to get to meet the, someone who knew her mom, you know, yeah. like that was really amazing for her. Um, but yeah, she was really, she was cool. That was a fun she, experience. I remember vividly like being, you know, a kid and her being Peg Bundy. Yeah. Um, like that. I mean, <laughs> I mean and you know, it, it, that show was on forever. So uh -huh. she's just one of those people that like, if I saw her walk in the room right now, I would feel like I knew her and probably really offend her because I'd be like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Well, I guess we should do our little rapid fire thing. Now, yeah, huh? we'll hit, let's hit, oh, the, uh, hit the rapid fire. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yep. Oh man. You're going to be fine. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know how this works because you've listened to them. So I know, I'll that's ask, why I'm nervous. Brian, I'll ask you a couple of questions. I'll ask you a couple of questions. 
and and you know from listening to these that we will comment. No, oh, brother. And we will, yeah. uh, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little judgy. We might yeah, be a little judgy. Of Depends. Yeah. So. Um, from bad to worse. All right, Brian, you're up. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Best work of history you've read recently. Best work of history. Does it have to be in my field or not? No, no, not at all. Got this. Okay. I'm reading several things right now in my field, which I can talk about, but the best, like, and this is a bit, this is a bit self-serving because he's coming to the symposium, but I read um, before I invited him to the symposium on Afghanistan and non Gopal's no good men among the living, which is a history of the Afghan war, like through three different people. And I sat down and like finished that one really quickly, which I typically don't do. Like it was, was, it's just good. It's really good. And he's what, what are you here. reading? What are you reading on um, your stuff? Um, my stuff. So I'm trying, I'm finishing up again, um, Her Cold War by Tanya Roth, which I have been really excited about because I think she's doing some really cool things. Um, yeah. Got Susan Carruthers um, book on the Dear John letter, which I'm really excited about. And then I'm also really excited about Amanda Boxar's book coming out. Yeah, I've already, I've um, just read it like is, a couple weeks so ago. Is it, is the amazing it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah, okay, it's good. really, really good. Yeah, I've been waiting on that for a while. Yep. Yeah, so, it's and I don't uh, mean that in a bad way. I tweeted something out, and I'm like, "Oh shoot!" Like that sounded really bad. That was terrible. <laughs> I don't mean like like that, but like it's so it's such a good project that like no, it's a great it's a out. great project. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, but it, okay. it was it was good. Yeah, very very good. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, best book on something uh, other than history it can be fiction or you know whatever See, this is where it all goes downhill because i don't read fiction that's bad that's fine my husband that's makes fine, fun of yeah. me all the time yeah i don't read much of making fun of me for that i don't read fiction and the reality is is you know most people Sorry. listening are are historians right and and yeah. you know we we read for a living and so like yeah i got I'm, enough stuff to read yeah i'm I, much more so what are you like, reading just for kicks i mean just is surely you're reading something that's just a checkout right i've been listening to a lot of podcasts as a not as a checkout i don't check out that's the problem mm. i don't check out very well so i i'm reading something that's history but not traditional history if that counts so uh well about let's let's talk about the podcast um so i've been listening to elliot woods again this is self-serving i've been listening to elliot woods third squad podcast because he's going to give the keynote at the symposium and that's been like really really just amazing um you know student was in here this morning we were talking about it um and it's so raw he gets these guys to talk about things it's just an unbelievable podcast. So I've been listening to a lot of that. Um, I listen to this, to all kinds of stuff. I've been listening to you guys, which, you know, Thank there's you. that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's, but, yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we'll just leave it there. All right. Yeah. That's, I knew that question was going to bomb. Sorry. It doesn't reflect on us. No, not on at all. You. That's the problem. I need to figure out how to make it reflect on you guys. Don't, don't apply to us. <laughs> <laughs> I should have went and found some random book and read it, and then I could not sound like. And we would have gone, "Oh, wow, like that's this. interesting." Yeah, right. I, uh, <laughs> so, so very quickly, I'm on uh, maybe not this year, but in the past, I've been on the scholarship committee for Georgia Southern's highest scholarship in 1906. Mm. One of the questions they ask the kids every year is um, recommend a book to me. 
and a ton of the kids just fall apart. And so I've told my daughters, like, if you ever get these interviews, like you, even if you're not reading something, you better have a title, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, ready to roll. Because uh, if, if it looks like you're not a reader, you know, most of the people in those committees are going to are going right. to be disappointed in you. <laughs> right. I'm definitely a reader, just not a fiction. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, we've read a lot of like children's literature in my house lately, you know. I'm with you like on that one. Yeah. Drive the bus is a big hit. Yes. You know. <laughs> So I, that that counts for something, right? What is what is that uh, the same author, the Nuffle Bunny? Oh, I don't know that one. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. All right, sorry, Bill. <laughs> you, I interrupted you for that. So. <laughs> no, You're fine. So, what are you binge watching? Oh, okay. So I saved up the Great British Baking Show um, last fall. I love the Great British Baking Show. Yeah, I discovered we're, we're it total very addicts. Late. We're total addicts. Oh my god! Like so um nadia yep. from season whatever like if there's a person in the world who got me through covid aside from my family <laughs> it's her single-handedly like yeah so we, i mean you could just like put the show on and like she's so happy and cheerful and making this crazy amazing stuff and yeah so i've been watching i went through the great british bake-off like in three days last fall right after the end of the semester but then have rediscovered her sh- her own shows like she has two separate shows on netflix now um and so i've been watching that um i'm super excited about miss mazel coming back yeah 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 yep. early it's going to be interesting it's what, oh, I, what interesting I good or interesting bad well like like a little i don't know they just okay. there's there's a lot of buzz around it so okay. But yeah. yeah, fan. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Ah, that's all acceptable. Okay. All acceptable. Okay. I passed that one. All right. If you'd, if you'd have said that you watched the uh, Velvet Underground documentary on, on uh, Apple TV, that would have been like tops, but you know, oh. we'll, we'll, we'll accept. You, you may tell you very quickly something not to watch. It's the okay. number one radio show on Netflix yesterday. My daughter's been watching. It. It's called Magnolia. Okay. Horrible. Horrible. Don't don't, don't okay. watch it. Horrible. Like I told, I, I said, I I think a lot less of you for watching this because it's so bad. <laughs> like, that's how you build a child's self esteem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Note to self: Don't watch that show. All right, Carol. What yeah. what what music are you listening to? What you, what what's your most recent download, purchase, whatever? Okay. So my most recent purchase came several years ago now i tend to stick with the same thing so i am a huge mumford and sons fan oh yeah yeah. and so that's the last thing i bought um but i basically listen to all of their albums all the time it's either them or anything paul simon which you know and that could be either simon and garfunkel or paul simon um but yeah but the mumford and sons that's um, and the, the best actually is the album they did in Johannesburg, um, which has a lot of Baba Mall on it. Oh, that that's it. That's I love live live albums. Oh my yeah. I'll yeah. buy that. I just got actually I just got a Godfather's uh, live. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's like twenty five mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, but it's it's awesome. Okay, so if you like Mumford and Son, mm-hmm. um, have you heard of Johnny Flynn? Sounds familiar. Okay, Not Johnny Flynn. He's he's been in some movies right. and stuff, but he, okay. uh, you know, Brit kind of folk, or okay. whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's got a live album. Um, it's Johnny Flynn and the Sussex Wit. Okay, 
And if, did you ever, I don't know if you watched um, The Detectorists. Which oh, I love that my, show. It's one of my favorite Brit shows ever. Yeah, I can watch it's it over. Show. It's just so good. Oh. Yes. Um, uh, was it Toby Jones and, um, uh, uh, oh, shoot, who's the tall, tall skinny dude? Uh, God, what's his name? Anyway, uh, it's it's just wonder. It's just a wonderful, happy, feel good, right thing. Oh, but anyway, okay. Johnny Flynn does the he did the music for it. Okay, and it's so got if a really, it's a British show, I'll definitely watch it. I'm all about. Okay, the it's it's on. I think it's on. I want to say it's on BritBox or something like that, but it might okay. be on Prime too. Yeah. But it's yeah, I highly recommend. Highly okay. recommend. Okay, I got to put my two cents in here. So if yep. you like Mumford, um, you like the Abbott Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm really disappointed in that response. <laughs> that was kind of a kind of a half-hearted. Yeah, because yeah. the the Avery brothers are like the soundtrack to my life. Like that is what I listen to every day. Um, <laughs> all right, they probably um, be in the mix like of, of my ideal band, like the recipe of my band of like who has influences in it. They might be in there, you know, the right. Mumford and Sons, Paul Simon, like. Graceland, Rhythm of the Saints era. That's the primary make. That's the flower and the sugar right there. Yeah, okay. YouTube, uh, uh, Marcus Mumford and uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Flynn. Okay. They'll, they play okay. together sometimes at concerts and stuff. Okay. okay. Yeah, and th- it's good. It's fun. I've probably seen him then and just not re- realized. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Loyalty question. Hoosiers or the herd? Got to go with the herd. Yeah, um, thank you. I did go with the herd, the thundering herd. Um, when the NCAA soccer championship last year? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I know the general gist of soccer. Like, you got to get the ball in the net and you can't touch it with your hands. Like, that's pretty much it. But Marshall played Indiana in the championship and Marshall won. Yes, yep. they like, did. You know why I know that? Because yeah. in the semifinals, Marshall played Clemson, my oh. university. They beat us. It was a huge upset. Uh-huh. Um, but Clemson came back and won it this year. So uh, okay, yeah, yeah. But, I'm gonna go with the herd probably 99% of the times because they're the underdog, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, now that said, they would probably beat Indiana football any day of the week. Yeah. Um. But you know, I went to Marshall in the late 90s, so this is like, like Randy Moss, time. Randy Moss yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. Like you got a minor in football just for showing up. You know? Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, um, yeah, I'm definitely a thundering herd fan. All right. Um, one book on gender and the military that all historians should read. Oh, geez. All of them, all of them. Yeah. Like, you know, say your average person that doesn't, right. that want somebody that doesn't like military history or thinks they don't like it. And you're like, but you should really know this. Um, so you want to give them something that's accessible, right. That tells a story you know, Elizabeth Cobb's book on the Hello Girls does that, right? She writes for, you know, she writes for mom and dad too, right? Yeah. And I don't mean that in any insulting kind of way. <laughs> don't misinterpret that if you're listening. That's the way like we she's should making be doing her it. point, right? Yeah. She's making her point. Um, she's engaging the literature, you know, and she's telling the story of these pretty cool women who did this amazing thing, but also connecting them to a broader story about women in that era. Um, and so it, it's one of those things where I think you get gender along the way, you get all of these lessons that you don't quite know you're getting, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like even, you know, your mom and dad would read it and get it. Um, and I think that is an important skill. So I would, okay. that, that's my answer. I'll 
yeah, sticking with it. All right. <laughs> last live concert you've attended. When's the last one, last one you went to? Oh, geez. And, and I would You're add making to, me look terrible. What's, uh, what's the next one? Okay. I'm also cheap, like <laughs> dirt cheap. So like, I'm really seriously racking my brain trying to think. Music at the park. When I went, it's going to be that. It's going to yeah. be like. Which is fine. We should uh, all support that. Yeah. Um, when we were in Virginia, there was a lot of like Shenandoah, like musician, you know, hipster bands. Like at that time, everybody was trying to be old crow. Yeah. Um, but not yeah. like slow it down, please. So I can understand what you're saying. Um, so we heard a lot of that. Um, but like live shows, we don't really do live shows, partly because we're too cheap. Um, though um, Mumford and Sons did come here and we were going to go. And I think COVID something happened but yeah we're terrible y'all so you need to change up these questions to no i you know we're cool. gonna go see lyle lovett in Asheville uh, in a couple of weeks and then we've got <laughs> tickets to joe bonamosa i think like two days later you're way cooler than back me, in though. it yeah you're way cooler gotta get back in it yeah i would love to see like i would love to see people i really love in concert um but i'm i've never really been a concert i do have a distinct memory However, uh, back to West Virginia, um, when I was a child, my dad took all of the family and we all went to see Alabama oh, in the wow. Huntington Civic Center. It was like 1982 yeah. or something. Cool. <laughs> this is like mountain music era. So yeah, that, like, there are my roots coming through. And there was like no bigger band in the U.S. <laughs> no. That, yeah. That was, that was huge. Yeah. And I was I mean, like, that's little. one of those no kidding. There that. I was stories. That's awesome. Yeah. Love yeah. It. I do remember that's that great. very distinctly. Like, that's great but that's like this you know growing up where i did like that's the soundtrack of my childhood is alabama <laughs> okay now we're getting into the important stuff oh brother shiner bach or lone star oh I, i'm not a beer person i can't drink beer all right guys we've had a great time <laughs> yeah we're, you know this is how kyle longley's ended right no 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 so um, i grew up my whole family like they're t total teetotalers so um i didn't grow up and i still can't do beer um i have discovered um margaritas now that's a thing in texas yeah. the the infused mark like the they're infused with like jalapenos and stuff like that's yeah. amazing yeah Okay. That's amazing. Okay, so right. salt on the on the rim Definitely. or no salt? Okay. Definitely. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you so you dug out Did of that one. You're fine. Yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm just not a beer person. That's okay. That's you know we we'll talk about it after you get off and we do our conclusion. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll judge them. <laughs> um, oh yeah, right. I forgot y'all like kick us off and then you talk about. Yeah, us we talk a little more. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, be best Vietnam film or television series? Can I say China Beach just because? Yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Because I had to buy China Beach on VHS cassette, cassette tape, something for when I was trying to revise for the book. Yeah. I wanted to put something in there yeah. on China Beach. And um, I bought them on eBay and some, some, guy had recorded them off the history channel so when i was watching all of the episodes i would fast forward through the commercials um, and watch them all so i'm gonna say that just because nobody else would say that and because will banks will come hunt me down if i say apocalypse now okay so. fair enough 
<laughs> and that's the only reason I would say apocalypse now is because I know it would just make Jim scream. So, <laughs> all right, you you probably know um, the last question that's coming is two parts. Um, first part is barbecue, brisket or pork? Pork. Thank you. Yes, pork. I don't Ribbit's, do so. I'm not a deep. red meat person. The, I love barbecue, like North Carolina barbecue. You got to put lots of barbecue sauce on it. It's got to be the vinegary stuff. You know, it's that yeah. West Virginia influence. It's that's it's in that neck. Yeah. Well, yep. the West Virginia barbecue I had was deer meat growing yeah. up. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. yeah. Huh. But you got to put the coleslaw on top and get it all messy. And then you have to eat it with a fork. I'll tell you what, Brian, you're, you're, get, you're getting way ahead on this. I got to start, yeah, I got to start cherry picking some guests. You've got to find some West coast people yeah, to, uh, find, to get out yeah, of here. I've yeah. got to start to suffer a little bit. Oh, um, brother. um, none, none of us poor people in, in Appalachia had money for cows. I mean, pigs was that, you know, <laughs> I say that I'm from upstate South Carolina. So, uh, you know, I'm right there in the foothills, but, um, all right. Best barbecue in Fort Worth. Himes barbecue on Magnolia. Um, and they have the pork so they can do the pork and they have the coleslaw so I can make it all messy. Um, but I would definitely say Himes on Magnolia. Yeah. All right. And it's, we actually, when we first moved here, we went, it was brand new and like people line were lining up around the block, you know, and with a kid, you know, a little kid, you get, you eat dinner at like four 35. So we were always there on time before everybody else um, <laughs> yeah. we could get in, <laughs> but we would eat there. And the first time we had it, we were like, Oh, we're back in North Carolina now. Like this is, you know, this would pass in North Carolina as well. So. Yeah. Real quick, I'm bonus bon bonus question to redeem you to redeem oh. yourself for some kind of <laughs> yeah there were some bad ones there. So uh, TCU and and the future of the Big Twelve. I so 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 wanted us to get into the Pac-12. Just culturally, I think that would be an interesting move. Yeah, geez, that was that was a mess. But thing you know things are changing now. We got a new football coach, and so as long as they start winning, I'm good with it. Yeah, no, I probably shouldn't have said that either. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's just fun when they win and they're, you know, they're a good team, but when it was all kind of, you know, up in the air and nobody knew what was, how things were going to shake out, we, we were kind of hoping for the PAC 12. I, th I mean, there, we have a lot of California kids anyway, the school kind of, I don't know, looks that direction in some ways. So I don't know, but that whole fallout like that, you know change things all the way down to my thundering herd so yeah right you know tcu would probably be a good fit for the acc hmm i never thought about that i mean obviously it we don't get a lot of East Coast people though yeah the, the geographic yeah. thing um, it's no worse than rutgers being in the big 10 that's true yeah i mean the yeah. the kind of school you know i mean tcu mm -hmm. kind of fits the mold let's see if we make that happen okay yeah <laughs> you can do <laughs> yeah now see all that was was that so bad well we had some hiccups along the yeah, way but you know that's all right that's, that's okay <laughs> i mean we'll follow up with kyle was you know diet was it dr pepper or, or i can't remember what it was brian was it dr pepper or coke and it's yeah, like well, i don't, I don't drink pepper caffeine we we're just like yeah. oh my god we we're pulling our hair out that was a very early drink, failure on our hair. research department and that's on me because i know kyle really well um, at least I thought I did. So we're, you know, we, we joked that we're brothers from another mother. And, and you know, he told my mom that he was like, 
<laughs> he gave a talk at the retirement community in Austin where my mom lives. And you know, Oh, my word. Yeah, no okay, son. We're brothers from another mother. And everyone looked at my mom like, what? It's like, no, not really. <laughs> Bunch of 80-year-olds well, going, well, you know. Started so. the rumor mill down there. Exactly. <laughs> Need some excitement there at, at, at uh, Longhorn Village and Steiner Ranch. Okay. But, hey, um, I have a question for you guys. So yep. the back of your screen, you can see your, your guitar there. So mm -hmm. the opening like guitar stuff, is that yours, Bill? That, that is Bill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's me. All right. That's me. I've been trying to shake it up a little bit. I tried, I did some different, you know, same, same riff, just different, uh -huh. you know, amp settings and stuff okay. to mix it up a little bit. So I haven't decided which one's yours going to, yours going to be. I got a good punk rock one and a, Oh, you gotta uh, you gotta call you know Mumford and Sons and be like, hey, we got a fan of yours. You need to come down here and play with me, <laughs> right? And then we'll make a TV show where we like trace your lineage, and we'll get all the nerds who you know. I mean, we could we could make something of this. Y'all started a podcast, so you can start a show. Well, look, all well, we've done is prove that, as we keep saying, that any jackass can do a podcast. Yeah, all, all it takes is an $85 microphone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It just is, as long as you look like you know what you're doing, you got the right kit. It's half the battle. And, 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 all, and all of you keep saying yes when we ask you to. Right. You guys keep saying yes. So it's like, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But uh, see, Kara, this was so, so such fun. This was great. It was a great time. It, was yeah. it really was. Uh, uh, There's a Friday afternoon well spent. And, yeah. and yeah. It's lovely to see you. And I and, uh, can't wait to see you in person in Fort Worth. For in sure. Several weeks. Absolutely. Because uh, that's going to be good. We look forward to it. So, yeah. so thanks for taking the time yeah. with us. All right. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you too. <laughs> Take care. Oh. I told you that'd be great. That'd be a good one. Yeah, that, that was like a lot of fun. Yeah, she I tell you what, really, I was really like, great. she was very open, and I really appreciated her candor and seriousness about talking about the the Benjamin Schmidt, you know, her chair and yeah, what that means to her and all that. That was that's powerful. I you know it was appreciated and, and that, it, and it was unexpected. Um, yeah, you know, we we yeah. at least in my mind, I have an idea of how I think these things are going to go. And I'd read last night um, about, you know, why the position exists. And, and so right. I knew about it, but the way she talked about it, you know, just to yeah. say outright, like, you know, I'm here because he isn't. Yeah, no, that was unexpected. And, and, and really, like you said, really, really powerful, really moving yeah. stuff. So no, um, it, it was, um, yeah, I don't know. We got to do a little more research. We get, maybe send like a pre pre questionnaire, you know, do you drink beer or no? You, well, it's but that's kind of part of the fun, too, of figuring out, right? Yeah. yeah, it's fun. And yeah. now we know that she's cheap, so um, you yeah, know, there's we, that, right? We got that on. Her. <laughs> yeah, we can we can like just pester her and ask her to buy us drinks in Fort Worth. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But she is just an amazing person, an amazing historian, and yeah, I, I can only imagine how great her classes are, and um, she's just so active. 
you know, we didn't, we didn't really talk about it or key in on it too much, but, uh, you know, she said, you know, I, I started off going to grad school with no funding. Uh, she was at yeah. small colleges for yeah. the, you know, the first more than a decade of her career. And so, but I'm going to guess Indiana was the only place she applied for, or maybe the only place she got in maybe, yeah, maybe which is pretty yeah. good, but yeah, yeah, yeah. funding is a great is really place something. to go. But, but yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, she, she wrote that first book, um, while she was teaching a four, four, five, five. And so, yeah. uh, We've talked to a lot of people who've definitely earned everything. Um, yep. You know, these aren't people who have fallen into R1 positions uh, right out of the gate. So, um, yeah, it's always good to, to talk to those people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody, keep keep listening. Please uh, repost, retweet, share, tell your friends, reach more people if we can. We, we feel like we're doing actually very well. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. And maybe by the time this one airs or drops in, in several in a few weeks. Either Heather Stir or Rob Satino is going to surpass over 200 plays. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because they're up there. They're pretty close. So it'll be interesting to see which one goes first. We um, need to let them know that and uh, yeah. and they, they can start promoting themselves. To yeah, win that's the race. a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, we've been satisfied with 20 plays. But, man, yeah. we just appreciate everybody's support. So thanks. Take care, everyone. Military Historians Are People Too is produced, written, and hosted by Brian Feltman and Bill Allison. Music is written and performed by Bill Allison, who clearly is not B.J. Lederman. Military Historians Are People Too is hosted on Anchor by Spotify. Check back soon for new episodes. Thanks for listening.